the fan reaction, the MCU fan reaction to him was exactly the way it should have been. Welcome to Amazing Moments in Film. A podcast for people who love to watch, take in, and learn about all the things that make the movies and TV shows they love so great. Hey, it is your host, Mike Howell, and... Today's episode has a guest by the name of John Pica. John is or knows all things MCU. Uh, he, in this episode, he talks and drops some massive, massive knowledge bombs about the MCU, both comic book and TV slash movie series. John is a gentleman that I have known for only a few weeks, but I've got to tell you, my conversation with him on this podcast was epic. Um, he, we talk and jam and unpack on a lot of different things around the MCU, particularly what is coming down the pipe uh, from what we have seen and what he knows to be true based on uh, Marvel canon and Marvel lore. And also some theoretical stuff that he thinks and would like to see coming down the pipe as far as future movies and TV series. Uh, we talk about some story arcs and what those look like and how good they are, what makes them good. And one of the things that I wanted to really looked forward to talking with him about was the U.S. agent and Captain America shield. So we talk about a lot of that stuff here in this episode and just so that I don't make you wait any longer, here is my conversation with John Pica. All right, so um, on today's episode of Amazing Moments in Film, I've got John here, and uh, we're going to talk about one of the more hot TV series. I, well, I wouldn't necessarily say hot, but something that uh, was released a few months ago that was very popular when it came out, especially on the coattails of Infinity War and Endgame and um, WandaVision, and that is the Falcon and Winter Soldier. And I'm going to give John here a moment to uh, kind of introduce himself and what he's about, and um, and we can kind of kick it off from there. So why don't you take it away, John? Hey there, friends and foes. <clears throat> My name is John Pica. I am the prophet of pop culture, but you can call me Johnny. I am a multidiscipline storyteller. I'm an actor, singer, magician, author, artist, podcaster host of the back of the cereal box podcast and uh, basically it is a podcast that celebrates the fun of saturday mornings from our youth so we cover things like comics and movies and cartoons and 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 pro wrestling and god's you know what i should say we cover comics cartoons kaiju and more <laughs> just like you know we would when we were kids and, and it's called saturday uh called back of the uh, cereal box because i'm of an age that we did not have iphones or ipads at the breakfast table on saturday mornings in between those cartoons and pro wrestling and godzilla movies we were reading the back of the cereal box and that's what the whole podcast is all about and based on I love it. It's funny you mentioned, I didn't know that was the origin of the name of the podcast. And it's really, it reminded me 
So have you seen kind of the memes that float around in social media? It's like, tell me how old you are without telling me how old you are. Yes. So yes. one of the ones that I spouted out was I used to play games on the back of cereal, bo- cereal boxes. Absolutely. <laughs> um, that the, the back of the cereal box for me was literally a portal into the geek pop culture mm. that I love, you know, board games and, and comics, you know, DC comics had a line of cereal box, you know, comics on the back. Um, and, um, you know, uh, all of that stuff. I just, that's, that's what I got into as a kid. And so, uh, when I was looking around start, to start a new podcast, this is actually my fifth podcast. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was, it was created out of surviving COVID and this, this one of, was, yeah, yeah. Okay. Reprioritizing, you know, my career and my, my life a little bit. And, uh, so that's really what uh, birthed it. Okay. Yeah, I, I can get behind that. A lot of people, I mean, myself included, I'm not exempt from this statement. A lot of people found themselves locked in, kind of tapping their foot, looking for something to do Yeah. when yeah. the COVID thing hit. That is how Back of the Cereal Box was birthed. Okay. It's, it's funny how the origins come about. I started doing this myself with this podcast out of... Um, not necessarily boredom, but one day when my wife is like, you got to do something as a hobby. <laughs> Just, I don't know what it is. I don't know how, what you're going to think of, but you got to do something for your own mental sanity. And so that's kind of where I was. I'd been thinking about this for a while. And just talking about movies and my two best friends, we jam on theories and ideas, particularly Star Wars stuff, but MCU stuff comes in quite a bit. Well, Star Wars movies and Avengers comic books made me who I am today. I got started as an entertainer. I got started as a storyteller because of Star Wars. In 1977, I was in the theater on the Friday opening night. And when Darth Vader stepped through that door of the rebel frigate, I was like, I want to do that. And I didn't know what that was, but that kind of set me down the path. And in our household, Star Wars is oxygen. Uh, I'll turn the camera for you. The audience can't see, but over here is the Star Wars half of the room, the Star Wars shelf. Yeah. And then on the other side is the Marvel Avengers shelf with uh, all of my books, collectibles. And of course, as you saw on your camera, the shield, the shield. And I see you got that, uh, that old school poster, the Avengers poster in the back too. Yeah, one of my uh, all-time favorite issues of the Avengers, number 53. I actually have every issue of the Avengers from issue 56 on, and we just hit 752. Mm. So, uh, and not just the Avengers, but the West Coast Avengers, Avengers Spotlight, Secret Avengers, uh, all of the Avengers books or, or spinoff books I have read and own in my collection. So let's kind of unpack that a little bit because before MCU really started to gain traction. So I would say probably when the sequels or the, the, the third portion of the trilogies. So we're talking Iron Man two, 
um, Dark World, um, kind of knocking on the door of Spider-Man. Before Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier, yep. When those movies um, taught, not chronolo- chronologically, I think it would be the per- correct term. When chronologically that time frame was coming out, that two or three year period, before everybody knew where the MCU was going, I don't think, and I'm sure a lot of people didn't realize, but there was probably a lot more now, didn't realize that there were the alternate Avengers, the multiverse, and all of these other kind of multi-directional yet still parallel characters and kind of genres within the Avengers existed. And I'm kind of knocking on the door, like I'm probably teasing the conversation towards the U.S. agent and Yelena and some of these other characters that are just now starting to come out, but kind of unpack and talk about timelines and things like that and books and how a lot of that stuff lines up. So, yeah, um, the Avengers, most people who have only been exposed to the Avengers through the MCU think that the Avengers are those six. Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, Hawkeye, uh, Black Widow, and uh, the Hulk. But throughout comics history, the Avengers has included almost 200 characters as members. Um, And we're starting to meet a bunch of them. Like in the Eternals movie, we've met Cersei and Gilgamesh and Star Fox. They were all Avengers at one point in the comics. Go ahead. So, so when you, and I'm sorry to interject, but I don't want you to get too far down the rabbit hole and then have me forget or have some other awesome question come up. When you say part of the Avengers, what does that look like? Are we talking like an adventure, a couple of adventures, a couple of comics or like? No, no, full-blown members. So that that is kind of the the hallmark of the Avengers story. The Avengers comic is that their ranks are ever-changing. But they are still Earth's mightiest heroes. And we're just now getting to know some other characters through the MCU who have been Avengers, like what we would call quintessential Avengers for decades, like the Falcon, Sam Wilson, um, like um, She-Hulk, who we are going to be introduced to later this year on Disney Plus. She's a quintessential Avenger, a favorite, uh, like uh, Monica Rambo from WandaVision. Mm-hmm. She was the first female Captain Marvel and at one point was the leader of the Avengers. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Mind yeah. blow right there. <clears throat> I mean, so, there's 750 issues of that title since 1964. That's how long the Avengers have been in existence and running. So, oh, dude, there are so many directions I want to take the conversation. Listen, and, and, <laughs> and we could talk about this for hours. I can take you down the deepest rabbit hole you want to go. Um, but that will confuse most of your listeners. <laughs> yeah, that's needless that's kinda... to say, this is my I was asked this today on Facebook. Someone said, if you could change one thing about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, what would it be? Oh, lay it on me. I wish that Marvel 
quote unquote fans would read a freaking comic book. <laughs> yes. I, now I've only read like two or three, but I would completely agree. I think it, I think it shifts what your expectations are just a little bit for the better. Well, some people might not think that, but yes, absolutely. I can get behind that. And, and, you know, I see a lot of people like right now, they're like, even, even like on the Marvel forums on, on Facebook or the MCU Marvel cinematic universe groups, they're like, who the heck is moon Knight?" And -hmm. I'm like, who the heck is Moon Knight? Moon Knight, I've got him right here. He's one of my all-time favorite characters. I've been a fan of Moon Knight for 20 years or longer. And I'm like, who? How, how, how do you call yourself a Marvel fan and you don't know who one of the seminal characters of the Marvel Universe is? And then I have to back off and remind myself, Johnny... <laughs> These people are coming to this new, they're coming to this fandom through the movies, and there's a lot that hasn't even been peeled back in the MCU yet. Yeah. So how do you think, broad question, then we can zero in on what I really want to talk, what I'm really eager to talk about. How do you think some of these... um, how, what kind of job or quality or service are they doing to some of these alternate, not alternate, but the quintessential characters, as you said, as they introduce them, that may not be like the Hulk and Captain America, who we've come to love over the last 10 years? So one of the things that comic book fans have had to learn and accept is that Marvel movie canon is not... Marvel comic book canon and that they are they are very separate so you can't be a fan of the comics and go into the movies expecting them to have adapted the source material 100% faithfully and once you understand that as a as a comic fan as a reader you're going to enjoy the movies because the one thing that the MCU does very well is they remain very true to the spirit of the source material. Mm, interesting. They, they've really captured the nuances. And since Kevin Feige was put in charge of Marvel TV and Marvel Comics last year, shows like WandaVision and Loki and Hawkeye and Falcon and Winter Soldier have been drawing more and more comic accuracy from the source material and translating it to film. Not 100%, but they've done a really, really good job. And especially in the Hawkeye show, um, there are frames, scenes, that look like they were plucked right out of the comic book and put on the TV screen. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed, from a theatrical and thespian kind of what we were talking about before we started Mm -hmm. recording i really enjoyed hawkeye i thought it was a a good tv series even though it might not have been as fast as what you know people are typically seeing out of the mcu i thought it was fantastic it was unbelievable and the chemistry that florence Pugh and um haley stanfield had uh kate bishop hawkeye and yelena baleva uh black widow 
was so amazing. So their good. chemistry was so good. Yeah. And now this, the, the talk is that we're going to either get a feature movie or the next season of Hawkeye will be focused just on those two. That's awesome. So and, it's, Oh, go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was just, and, and that's exciting. That's, yeah. that's very cool. So it's, it's funny that you, and I'm, I'm just learning this now, but the way that you've talked about MCU, the comic book versus MCU, the, the movies or the theatrical MCU. Uh, it's interesting the way you talk about it, because when Disney acquired Star Wars, what they mm-hmm. want to do is they took all of that old stuff that was kind of the wild, wild west of George Lucas letting any Tom, Dick and Harry write a book that put, you know, Bastila Shan the Fallen in one place one certain year and then somebody would come along two years later and write another book that put her somewhere totally else in the same timeline um the way they just kind of like trashed it all and said okay now everything from now on is going to be canon whether it's book comic book tv show movie or whatever etc do you think that they service the mcu well by doing it the way that they've done it or would you because it pissed a lot of star wars people off yeah well look i'm I, t- I told you Star Wars movies and Avengers comic books made me who I am. Yeah. For I sure. had it on, on my Star Wars shelf. I've got all of the Thrawn books, the original Thrawn trilogy mm. from Timothy Zahn, who I'm going to get to interview for the podcast. Oh, dude. Uh, in a couple of months. Yes. Um, at ICC Con. Um, I had invested into the early days of the expanded universe. You know, I read Courtship of Princess Leia, which is a phenomenal story, by the way. Um, I read Darksaber. I read Children of the Jedi. I, I, I was invested in all of that. And when they got to the last series, the Fate of the Jedi series, which I think was nine or 12 books, and it just felt like it had completely run out of steam and... I had missed some of the stuff in the middle with the Yuzhan Vong and, you know, all of the turning of uh, Jason Solo and the death of Anakin Solo and spoiler alert, everybody. Um, (laughs) And so I come into the fate of the Jedi and I'm completely lost because I'm like, Mm. what did I miss? And so for Lucasfilm, there, the, the problem wasn't that there was so much expanded material. The problem was that there was so much expanded material that contradicted each other. Mm-hmm. And for them to take all of that history and compress it into one movie or one new trilogy, it was insurmountable. They just couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they chose rather than to get creative to just start from scratch, um, which I think was kind of the right decision. I think they could have been clever. I think they could have kept a lot of the expanded universe. I think they could have kept Jason and Jaina solo. I, I would, you know, if I had been writing it, Ray would not have been Palpatine's granddaughter. She would have been, Jaina Solo that had somehow been forgotten. I think a lot of people were expecting something like that. Yeah. I, I would have had 
Because, you know, if you read the books, you know that Luke Skywalker and Mara Jade had a son named Ben Skywalker. Mm -hmm. So they used that for Kylo Ren, Ben Solo. But fans were like, wait, no, no, no. This should be Jason Solo. What's going on? And they could have done that and preserved it. But what the MCU did was they they had they had some expectations from comic book fans and they chose the right property. They chose Iron Man to launch it because although Iron Man had 50, 60 years of history in the comics, his origin story was very easy to adopt for a modern audience. And because he wasn't very well known to the, you know, mass culture at large, they could, um, they could stay pretty true to the origin story. And it's, it's, that movie is almost, almost a perfect adaptation of the comic book source material to film. There's only one movie that does it better. And that is the Phantom with Billy Zane. Mm. I think they did a fantastic, I mean, I've, you're not the only one that has said that about the first Iron Man movie that I've heard anyway, uh, both in person and from reading it. And I think they did a fantastic job from top to bottom casting that movie. Yes, absolutely. And, and the same thing with Captain America, they, they stayed so true to the source material um, and, and it worked so well. Same thing with Thor the first Thor was a love letter to Jack Kirby. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous. And because mass audiences didn't know these characters, mm-hmm. they, they could adapt them pretty faithfully, but, you know, update it for more modern audi- audiences and, and, you know, adapt it correctly for cinema- the cinematic universe. Um, but it set the table in the right way for the mass audience to be introduced to these characters in a very, I don't want to say soft way, but a very consumable way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. once we got to Avengers, we <clears throat> knew these characters yeah. because Avengers was after the second round. So we knew Thor, we knew Hawkeye because we'd met him in Thor. We knew Black Widow. She was in Iron Man too. We knew these characters. And um, so all they had to do was stay true to the spirit of the source material for that first Avengers movie. And some comic book fans don't like it. There are hardcore comic book fans that are like, well, you know, Hawkeye and black widow weren't a part of the original Avengers. It was Ant-Man and the wasp. Mm. And that's true. It was, it was not Hawkeye and black widow in the origin, but for whatever reason, they felt like Hawkeye and Black Widow were more commercial properties to go with. And yeah. I love that in the, uh, in the Hawkeye series, they do kind of tease that because in the Rogers musical, oh, Ant-Man yes. yeah. is in the musical and <clears throat> the writers have said, oh, Ant-Man was there all the time. You just never saw him. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a little retcon there. Yeah, I love it. Um, so the other, the way that, so I loved, and I'm kind of diving into my very shallow knowledge of comic books. I loved the 
particularly Captain America. I love the arc that they put him on from his yes. shiny, follow the rules to a T to this more like humanized, but still awesome and um, like emotionally stoic, almost Captain America that we see in Endgame, who has not shaved in a while. You can see the Sokovia Accords took their toll. And now he realizes that almost without saying it, that the good and the bad are like what is right and wrong is almost kind of blended. Like there's a gray area there. And I love the fact because I don't think with the way that the, to take your words from you, the way that they tabled those characters or kind of set the table for them. I don't know that the Captain America in Infinity War and Endgame would be as epic and badass as he is if we hadn't gotten that initial Captain America. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the story arc for the big three, as they're known in comics, Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor, they are the big three of the Avengers. The story arc for each one of those characters through those 20 movies, 22 movies, um, is pretty remarkable. So and amazing. You, you really see it at the end of Endgame. If you watch the... the if you watch Endgame in those last few moments from the battle forward and you finish it and then you go back and you watch the first movies, those characters are so remarkably different and you can see the drastic changes that they've made. And yeah. that's one of the reasons why I loved those movies is because it wasn't like Star Trek where my, my big complaint about Star Trek TV shows is that the characters always have the same status quo at the end of the show that they had at the beginning. Yeah. There was no progression of character. And through the MCU, we saw this dramatic progression of character. Mm -hmm. and, we, and we're lucky because we got to see it over such a long period of time, over subsequent films, and, and that's one of the complaints that people had about The Last Jedi, right? Yeah. We see this drastically different Luke Skywalker, but we've not been able to see through film what got him to that point. If we had seen Luke Skywalker the same way we did Captain America or Thor, I mean, think about it. Thor yeah. in, in, in Endgame was the Luke Skywalker of the MCU. He had failed. He, the, the, he had the winning shot. He could have ended it all. He failed. And the weight of that failure weighed so heavy on him that it sent him into a drunken depression. He removed himself from the world. He let himself go, you know, go physically. He had no desire for adventure or to, you know, be involved in any of that ever again. And that's yeah. what we saw with Luke Skywalker, but we didn't get to see any of that progression to that point. Yeah. And yeah, so that makes the MCU a great, great uh, product. Yeah. And I think, so to the point of Luke Skywalker, I think when I first watched The Last Jedi, I kind of picked up on it. It's like, okay, shut yourself off from the force. You kind of see doubt the, he even calls it hubris and um, you know, talks about all the downside of the Jedi and things like I can get behind that. However, they did not do a good job of, and so in storytelling, we call it the transitional or transformational identity, 
So before the challenge and then after the challenge and everything you see in between is kind of what takes place in that transformation. I don't think in the last Jedi, we didn't get enough of that preface of to, to what got him there. They, they it, didn't have time. Exactly. They didn't have yes. time to do it. Yes. And, and it, people like you and I who, who, you know, admire those character arcs. And I get the feeling that you probably have read quite a bit of, you know, the hero's journey and, and, you know, understand that hero's journey, you get what was going on with Luke Skywalker, mm -hmm. but we didn't get to see it happen. Yeah. And people who aren't as familiar with, you know, those emotional issues, the character, uh, the, the hero's journey, they just don't, they don't, they don't, they didn't get it. They didn't see it. They don't understand it. They wanted the Luke Skywalker that they saw in return of the Jedi and that's an unrealistic character portrayal yeah. to begin with. Yep. You've got 20 plus years of history and you expect him to be the same kid that ended Return of the Jack? Come on. Yeah. Anyway, that's yeah. my <laughs> That's okay. And so like the cool thing, and you touched on it, is that we saw that transformation in the MCU characters in the big three. And the beautiful part of it is that we got to see it over 20 movies, you know, 13, 14 movies. And it just creates such a stark contrast. Like you were saying, if you saw the end, you know, end game in the last few moments compared to the first time that we see them on the screen, it's very, very different. And in my opinion, it's one of the cool parts of seeing the MCU and the way that they did it. And, and the fact that you're doing it the right way, in my opinion. Um, but you know, neither here nor there at this point. But um, so if, so to start talking about the shield that Captain America had, and I really want to, and I mean, half jokingly, screw the listeners. I want to know for myself, but let's talk about the US agent a little bit. And that's who John Walker becomes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And because they, they um, what's her name? The gal who's recruiting them. Val. Val. That's Valentina. Right. Yes. So she, and she even has it on her little kind of, um, you know, file that she hands him us agent at the end of that episode or at the end of the series, I believe, mm -hmm. but he comes on and it's really apparent really quickly. Two things are really, to me, they jump out of the screen when watching it. The first one is that the shield is captain America is not necessarily less than or greater than the shield, but he is not exclusive to the shield and vice versa. And the shield means more than a single person holding it. And then the other thing that is, and, and that relationship continues to develop through the series. And then the other thing that's really apparent is John Walker slash the U S agent homie has some issues. Yeah. From the beginning now, whether or not, and I hope you speak to this, but, whether or not it has to do with him being Captain America or other things that are going on, homie's got issues. Like that jumped out at me big time. So what is, who is John Walker? Where did he come from? And, you know, talk a little bit about that and him and where you, and you can even theorize a little bit what you think is going to happen with him. Well, I know what's going to happen because they've, oh, yeah. they've gotten closer <laughs> and closer and closer to the comic book canon um, since, um, since Marvel phase four started and John Walker was a character that was introduced in the late eighties in the comic book series. Um, when 
Captain America refused to become an agent of the U.S. government. They basically, he was still, for all intents and purposes, an active service uh, captain in the U.S. Army. And they oh. put him, they, they basically reactivated him. And they said, hey, Captain America is part of the U.S. military. You belong to us. And Steve Rogers said, no, that's not how this works. And they said, well, in that case, you're no longer Captain America because we own Captain America. You're stripped of the title. They took the shield from him and they recruited. They, they had auditions, basically. They did a search for the next Captain America because, and it's not the shield that is the symbol. They talk about that a lot in, in Falcon and Winter Soldier, but at the end, Sam Wilson really breaks it down after he becomes Captain America that it's not about the shield and it's not about who is in the uniform. It is about the ideals and what Captain America represents. And we shouldn't make the shield or the person the symbol. It's the, mm-hmm. the concept is the symbol or the, the, the dream. So anyway. Well, and even Zemo, Walker, Zemo even mentioned a little bit of that on their plane ride. Yeah. And he dives into it a little bit, even to, directly to Sam. Um, yeah. So anyway, I mean, just pointing that out. Yeah, so so it's it's not the shield and in the comics it's never been about the shield because the shield comes and goes all throughout Captain America's history. It's been lost, it's been shattered. He uses an energy shield. Uh, he goes back to using his original uh, you know triangular shield from uh, World War II. He at one point during Nick Spencer's run, he gets a different shield that's triangular that splits apart. And, you know, it's so it's never been about the shield for Captain America. It's been about the the idea of who he is and what he represents. And to their um, to their credit, Marvel just did a new run of the Captain America series with. uh, 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 I'm going to mispronounce his name, not not Tanishi. Is that how you pronounce his name? He's the writer and he explores that Um, whole thing. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, but yeah, I, I, yeah. yes. But but he explored that whole concept by introducing multiple Captain Americas throughout the country. Different people who had taken up the, the symbol of being a Captain America to their community. And so he kind of examines that whole thing. But so John Walker is recruited. He's brought in. But when he was brought in, he already had superpowers he was he had superhuman strength he was invulnerable he was already operating as a superhuman uh hero for hire called the super patriot and so he was like the government's natural choice and they bring him in they make him captain america well what they don't know is that the serum that he was given by the power broker messed with his mind and made him very aggressive, very um, uh, violent and very mentally unstable. Would you say, would it be, is it unreasonable to use the word volatile? 
Yes. Very okay. volatile. Okay. And, and so, so he could still pass for a dude that's kind of operating for the good of the nation. Yes. I mean, or, or was it really, so I'm trying to, you're, I'm painting a picture as you're explaining this in my brain. Was it one of those things where they were like, oh yeah, totally. He's, he's our guy. Cause you know, he's the John Walker that we see in the series, which is upright, noble, and he's got a patriot, you know, he's the dude, but the picture you're painting is somebody who's kind of like on edge and a lot more angry. I mean, and, and we saw that in Falcon Winter Soldier after he got the serum. It, oh, okay. Yeah. That's because valid. remember, yeah. you remember what we learned in the first Captain America movie, Dr. Erskine says that the serum only enhances what's already there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, John Walker wants to do the right things for the right reason, but he's willing to cross the line because of his military training. You know, he wants to do the right thing, but sometimes he just goes too far. And, and that, that super serum soldier enhances that it amplifies that. And we get the scene with him, you know, decapitating the flag smasher. Yeah. Which, and we talked about it before the recording. And even when I was trying, when we talked about coming on and, and jamming about this is I think that's a hugely underrated and underappreciated scene because of well, and, everything we've seen. And, and what was interesting is it is, it is an homage to two different things in the source material in the comics. John Walker is eventually stripped of the captain America mantle because of a similar thing. He actually ends up killing a group of people on live TV. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and I want to say that they were um, neo-Nazis. So he was justified, yeah. but it was so brutal and so violent that the, the government was just like, no, we can't, this can't be our guy again. And well, they give it back I, to Captain America. I think that's, I, uh, yes, I, I'm totally vibing with what you're saying. And just connecting the dots, I think that's kind of a similar situation that we saw in the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Because it was like, yeah, it is similar. Any normal person's going to say, oh, yeah, he just saw his homeboy murdered with a broken back. And it's like, okay, well, it was in combat. That's, you know, it's like I could see where that could be fogged and justified. Yet when I think when a normal person is like, I could never see Steve Rogers doing that. That's where well, it's like. So here's where that scene from Falcon and Winter Soldier with him holding the shield and coming down was a direct homage to the Captain America run written and drawn by John Byrne in the late 70s, early 80s. And in that story, Captain America is fighting a vampire named Baron Blood. Um, and the only way to kill a vampire oh. in the MCU is to decapitate them. And so he used his shield to decapitate Baron Blood. And we didn't see it in Falcon and Winter Soldier, but I believe that that's what happened with U.S. Agent. They, they mixed those two things from the comics, source material, into one scene that was more powerful than the source material. Because the oh, implication yeah. for longtime comic book fans is that 
John Walker went crazy and he cut off the guy's head with the shield. That's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And I, there was like, if you, if you're watching the TV series and you're getting into it, like you should, in my opinion, there's this moment where it's like climbing, climbing. And you're, oh, that guy's such a jerk. And you know, he's, oh, he's kind of, you know, edgy and there's something I don't like about him. And mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of turning into a dark side, like dark person or bad guy. And then when he does that, that's like, that's the flip of the switch where it's like, oh yeah, I knew it. That's yes. He is Dick. Yeah. And we're supposed to hate him. They did a great job writing that character the fan reaction, the MCU fan reaction to him was exactly the way it should have been. Really? Fans were supposed to hate him and hate that he was Captain America. They were supposed to think, oh, he's a cheap knockoff. He's a ripoff. Mm-hmm. That was exactly intentional. And they did it so beautifully. And, you know, Wyatt Russell played him so perfectly. Which is funny because, you know, Kurt Russell, back in the day, was like the leading contender to play Captain America in a film adaptation. (laughs) For years, he was like the dream cast for Steve Rogers. Yeah, that's that's fun. It's that's kind of it's entertaining because um, I didn't know that first off. And the second thing that comes to mind is. And some of the behind the behind the scenes stuff, and I think it might be in the Avengers Assembled episode for for Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, he comes out and says he auditioned for Steve Rogers in the first Captain America movie. Uh, Wyatt Russell, did, right? Yeah. Russell, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of yeah. co- it's kind of cool that like an ode to his dad and to him and. But I can't get behind the fact that they did, uh, he did that. And I don't know much. I don't know hardly anything about him in the comic book realm or the comic book universe, but the the square jaw, the big build, the large shoulders and like that just military demeanor. Um, Cause he looks like a big dude in the TV show. And he, I mean, hell mm-hmm. he might, he might be in real life, but I thought he did a really good job playing that part for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he was perfect casting. And that's very opposite that- of Steve Rogers. Well, and and in in the comics, U.S. Agent is much larger than Steve Rogers. Yeah, I've got a buddy who has read some of the comics, and he he was like, "Yeah, and in the comics, U.S. Agent is, you know, he's kind of a dark figure type dude. You know, you don't know which kind of guy you're going to get." And um, that's right. He he kind of is talking about it. He's talked about it the same way you did. Um, so decapitates the flag smasher blood on the shield defiled the shield what it, what was the mcu fandom like when that when that moment came out um you know um it was shock they were shocked that, that they went there even with and, the the comic book kind of whispering into it well co- comic book fans were like oh wow <laughs> they they did that you know Longtime fans, we were like, wow, what a great way to adapt the source material. And, and it just, it, it was a thrilling thing for us, for, for the casual, fan, what I would call casual fans, you know, people who are just fans of the MCU, the movies and the TV properties, they just hated US Agent even more, which was exactly what was supposed to happen. Um, they, they were ready to see 
Sam Wilson. Yeah. Take up the shield and become who we comic book fans knew was coming. Yeah. Because in the comics, Sam Wilson has been Captain America for quite a while. Yeah. When he did that with the shield, um, I don't know that I wasn't a big fan of the John Walker anyway, because I was like, oh, dude is a poser big time. But yeah. And you're supposed to feel that way. Yeah, well then per, i mean yeah i have no doubt that they did a good job with that stuff and when he killed that guy with the shield and it showed the blood i was like no way yeah that was the reaction i had and i i was i was more in shock i think about the fact that the shield was used to do that rather than john walker doing that because i think for me there was a little bit of like a oh he finally pulled the veil back cool like i knew it was there you just proved it to me but the fact that you did it with the shield you are a douche like that's how i felt about it for sure um but then also kind of like what you were saying it made me uh, like it made me want sam it's like dude just go dick punch that guy and take the shield like that's yeah. i was i was rooting for sam at that point even more so yeah so um and you you kind of talked about it now, and I want to start heading down the wrap up for this. What do you think is in store or what do you know to be in store for the U.S. agent? Well, so. They they're they're skipping over the West Coast Avengers, which um, is in the comics. Um, the West Coast Avengers was a, a, a second team that was established in L.A. You had the main. East Coast Avengers in New York, West Coast in LA, and US Agent became a member of the West Coast Avengers. Oh. He, he did a long stint with them. He did another stint as a member of the East Coast team um, for a little while. And um, he's been in and out of the book for years. And most recently, he has been a member of the Thunderbolts. And that's where we're going. We are going to get the Thunderbolts on screen. Now they will be a little bit different than what comic book fans know them as. Um, The Thunderbolts started as villains masquerading as heroes um, led by Baron Zemo and included some great former members of the masters of evil but they morphed and they they became a government operative team and that's what they are now and so u.s agent has been a stalwart member of the thunderbolts for maybe the last six ten years so is that what valentina is recruiting for yes okay Okay, so she's going to bring in Yelena, and I've kind of heard a little bit that She-Hulk is going to be a part of that. No, the Abomination. The Abomination. Oh, oh yeah, because they just released the one-shots on Disney+. Plus, and yeah. the Abomination is one of the things that they mention on there. Yeah, so, so if, if they introduce the Thunderbolts, I think they are. I think that's what they're building to with Valentina. Um and and it will be it will be a loose assemblage of some characters that we're meeting now. Um, probably Baron Zemo will be a part of that. Um, U.S. Agent, which will be interesting because they hate each other. 
um, ah. Yelena Belova, who hates Valentina. Um, and we, I believe that we've seen the new Sorcerer Supreme, Wong, in charge of their training. Oh, interesting. That's what that scene in Shang-Chi was all about. Remember Wong and yes. Abomination were fighting yep. in the cage fight? And then you see them backstage in the locker room. He's like, I've told you, you've got to learn how to pull that punch. Yeah. Wong is training members of the Thunderbolts. Interesting. So they're already putting it. I mean, aside from the behind the credit after credit scenes, they're already putting plugs into some of the more major cinematic productions. Yeah. And even in Spider-Man No Way Home. Which, what, okay, lay that on me. So the current iteration of the Thunderbolts is led by Dr. Octopus. Oh, interesting. Okay. And you- Dr. Octopus, in the comics, for a brief period, his mind inhabited Peter Parker's body for about five years. Spider-Man was Dr. Octopus. He was the superior Spider-Man. And it was one of the greatest stories ever written. Um, Just phenomenal. Well, now he's back to being Dr. Octopus, but he had been a hero for so long that he still sees himself as the hero. And the Thunderbolts are a team that has always operated right on the fringe, but always doing the right thing in the end. And they're not villains, but they're, they're, anti-heroes and so in no way home we see dr octopus cured right and i thought that he was going to actually end up helping peter fight the other villains you know on a grander scale i thought he would be more involved in that fight than he was but we saw him turned to the hero's side now that Dr. Octopus supposedly went back, but the door is open with the multiverse of madness coming up yeah. for them to bring back and do anything they want. And so they might bring him back as a member of the Thunderbolts. It could happen. Well, I've only seen No Way Home once. I, I have every intention to go see it again because obviously there's a pretty large scale movie and I don't think you can ever get all of it in one go. But I felt at the end of, Tor- I don't know, probably the last 45 minutes of that movie, I felt like we were kind of, and, and you're, you are affirming it for me. I felt like the Dr. Octopus we saw was not the same dude we saw at the beginning of the movie or in the 2003, 2002 version that we saw. Well, he was the same, but we, we saw this character arc. Yes. We, we that's saw what this I, yes. redemption arc. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's funny. It's kind of interesting because you're talking about all this stuff with the Thunderbolts and it's like, oh, yeah, I can I can get behind that for sure. Like, can you imagine seeing Dr. Octopus, the Black Widow, U.S. agent and the abomination led by Baron Zemo? Dude, yeah. yeah. Uh, Short answer. No. But I mean, it's it's a cool thought. Um, and I have no doubt that they'll make it work if that's the direction they're going for sure. It's cool that they're seeing the plugs and I'm hearing about this now. So maybe some, maybe folks will have a better appreciation once they listen. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, cool. I don't want to keep you for much longer. So why don't I, uh, 
uh, wrap this up and give you a chance to plug yourself uh, shameless, shameless self um, promotion here. Well, uh, the best thing for people listening to this to do, uh, if you want to hear more of this kind of deep geek dive, <laughs> you can check out my podcast, Back of the Cereal Box, at backofthecerealbox.fun. Or you can check me out at my personal website, johnpika.com, J-O-H-N-P-Y-K-A. And, you know, follow me on all the socials. I write books. I do. I have a comic book series myself. And um, I do live shows as a uh, magic act. And you can see all of that fun stuff at those websites. And you are on the Spotify's and the Apple iTunes yeah, yeah. Back of the Cereal Box is um, a video podcast first. So it's on YouTube and Facebook Live. But then the audio version is on all of the audio platforms, wherever you get podcasts, including uh, even Facebook podcasts. Perfect. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you. I appreciate your time and I'm super pumped you came on. I was really looking forward to jamming with you on this stuff and it did not disappoint. Well, thank you. I hope I didn't uh, take us down too many deep rabbit holes. But <laughs> as you can tell, um, you know, I, I've got 40 years of history reading this material and absorbing it. And, you know, I'm one of those guys that I never in a million years thought that my grandest fan wet dream would come true. <laughs> and that was to see an Avengers movie made in my lifetime. If you had told me 10 years before, I would have said, you're crazy. It'll never happen. And then to see it happen and to see how the MCU has grown around that, everything is awesome. And I could never have imagined it in a million years as a kid. And um, I just, I, I, I can take these deep dives and I just hope I didn't overwhelm your audience or you for that matter. So after my conversation with John, it was really obvious to me that I know damn near nothing about the MCU lore and the backstories of these characters. And I'm super pumped to go back and rewatch a lot of these movies and series that we talked about. And it's just got me excited to kind of notice and take note to some of the details and the Easter eggs and connections in the relationships that we talked about. If you want to connect with me, I'm on Instagram at Amazing Moments in Film. And you can email me through my email address in the show notes, howell.michael.d at gmail.com. And last, certainly not least, is thank you for listening. <laughs>